Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Liza Keller. In this episode, we discuss the future of defense innovation in the U.S.-Japan alliance with the specter of a rising China on the horizon. Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party leadership have an extensive effort underway to modernize the People's Liberation Army across all of its forces and platforms. Globally, the development of military applications for artificial intelligence, big data analytics, quantum computing, and robotics suggests that the fundamentals of deterrence have begun to shift, and China is striving to ride the wave. This is the landscape facing the United States and Japanese militaries as they seek to innovate their own defense capabilities and collaborate in the U.S.-Japan alliance in an era of global technological change and peaceful military competition. To explain these trends, we turn to 2018 CSIS Strategic Japan Fellow Dr. Satoru Mori, a professor at Hosei University in Japan who has studied these trends. Dr. Mori sat down with Dr. Zach Cooper, formerly Senior Fellow for Asian Security at CSIS and now a Research Fellow with AEI. They discuss how Japan and the United States need to invest and innovate to maintain military overmatch against China, the challenge Japan faces in catching up and achieving synergy with the U.S. capabilities, Tokyo's own investments in information technology and cybersecurity, and areas of emerging defense technology ripe for U.S.-Japan cooperation and development. I'll turn it over to Zach now. So I wanted to start out by asking you a broad question about why you're so interested in the strategic competition between the United States and China, and how does Japan broadly play into that issue? Um, I think uh, we are now uh, reaching this uh, very important uh, phase of history where uh, information, so the so-called information revolution is taking place. And it's being characterized by uh, the diffusion and rapid emergence of advanced technologies in the commercial sector and uh, characterized by uh, exponential datafication, uh, expanding global connectivity, and the rise of intelligent machines, and so forth. So this kind of uh, technological environment uh, creates this enormous challenge uh, for the Japan-US alliance to adapt to this very rapid and uh, drastic change uh, that is taking place. And in this uh, particular context, I believe that Japan and the United States needs to share a common China strategy. And uh, my sense is that uh, you know, the two countries need, need to really agree on the ends, uh, ways, and means uh, with, re- with regard to China. And um, to give you a, a, a very brief outline, my thinking is that uh, with regard to the ends uh, of a common uh, China strategy uh, between the United States and Japan, I think the basic idea is to kind of promote a rules-based open access order uh, in the in the Indo-Pacific region, and thereby prevent China from establishing regional hegemony uh, without uh, triggering a full-scale war, while uh, maintaining appropriate levels of economic engagement with China. So I think that's a that's a goal that uh, Japan and the United States can share, and uh, to achieve this goal, I think there are probably. Uh, three main lines of competition that Japan and the United States can uh, probably take. And I would uh, give you three. The first one would be the so-called geostrategic competition. And this is uh, the basic idea to uh, advance economic statecraft and diplomacy uh, designed to counterbalance Chinese influence in pivotal states in the Indo-Pacific region that are vital to securing open access to the commons. And the second type of competition would be the economic competition, which is about harnessing uh, and actually increasing the economic vitality 
uh, of the Asia-Pacific region through the expansion of high-stranded trade and investment zone like the TPP. And the third type of competition would be the military competition. And uh, this would be about maintaining military overmatch to deter uh, various acts of aggression by China. And these three, I think, competition uh, is going to be uh, very important uh, for the two countries. And uh, my focus on the defense innovation uh, is actually particularly focused on the third leg of this competition, which is about the military. That's a wonderful overview. And I wonder whether you can delve now into a bit of that military competition and talk about the lines of effort you see uh, both in, in the United States, but also in Japan, and how you see the strategic competition playing out, particularly on that military side. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, I think uh, there are probably uh, four uh, main lines of uh, uh, competition in the military realm. And I think it's based on uh, a notion that has been developing uh, actually since the Cold War uh, through the various phases of the debate over the revolution of military affairs and so forth. Um, the first type would be the, the effort on the technology and the research and development side. Uh, the second would be about uh, uh, novel or new operational concept, uh, concepts. And the third uh, would be about organizational reform and the fourth uh, would be about uh, nurturing and developing a human talent pool, and uh, that would actually sustain these advanced capabilities and operations. And I think in these four areas, um, you know, the United States and Japan really need to um, uh, make innovation happen in order to uh, stay ahead in the military competition with China, because China itself is also undertaking its own version of defense innovation. And I think that there's that those four uh, lines of effort are going to be the front lines uh, of the military dimension of the strategic competition. And I wonder whether you think that any of those particular lines of effort are ones that advantage China more than the United States or the United States and its allies more than China. You know, one can think about uh, a lot of the advancements in artificial intelligence and other areas. And we, we know that China is pushing forward quite rapidly in a lot of these evolving uh, new areas of military competition. So how much do you think uh, these lines of effort differ in terms of the asymmetries between the two, uh, between China and the United States and its allies? Are there certain areas that really advantage one state over the other? Um, I think... Um at this point, it's very difficult to uh, determine with uh, preciseness about you know uh, which country is actually leading ahead because um, I think China has expressed its aspiration in many of these areas, but uh, we are not quite sure how successful they are uh, in actuality. Uh, as you mentioned, you know uh, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and so forth. Technology side, um, they are engaging in massive technology transfer. So in that area, I'm not uh, uh, sort of quite confident that the uh, U.S. superiority uh, will last. But uh, we have to really see to what extent they are succeeding in this so-called uh, military-civil fusion uh, policy. And we also have to see how, how well they are doing with regard to the going out strategy, which is to actually engage uh, foreign technology uh, through various means. Um, operational concepts, I think they are almost um, copying uh, the U.S. concept of jointness and all the other relevant uh, operational concepts. And uh, it remains to be seen uh, because uh, they are undertaking organizational reform to actually make, to make those uh, operational concepts uh, effective. But uh, we're dealing with a huge uh, military organization. And F uh, reform is not easy to come. 
buy. So um, even though they do have plans and uh, uh, envision uh, these new type of operational concepts and organizational constructs, uh, I think we have to really see with much more detail about how successful they are. Um, so that I think the United States is also undertaking its own effort uh, to kind of come up with uh, innovation, innovative uh, operational concepts and organizational constructs. So there will be an ongoing race, I think. Um, it, it's going to be a race about uh, not only just one goal. I think there's going to be a repetitive competition uh, over time. And in terms of human talent, I think uh, this could be an area where the United States uh, might have a lead because it still attracts uh, many of the leading uh, experts in the technological area. And uh, but at the same time, you know, there are many, many uh, Chinese students coming to the United States to study and going back to China. So, uh, but nevertheless, I think the diversity and the traditional uh, open culture of the U.S. Uh, science and technology uh, research and development community is uh, something that the United States uh, has advantage uh, over. And you know, one of the tasks for the alliance, not only U.S.-Japan alliance, but also other U.S. alliances, is, is to kind of uh, keep this uh, innovative culture within the United States going. And it's something that, uh, uh, it's, it's an asymmetry that I think the United States could probably capitalize on. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult question how we, you know, make that happen. I think uh, U.S. allies should have a role to play uh, in contributing, in, in keeping that kind of a uh, uh, innovation ecosystem in the United States. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the allies. Of course, perhaps the greatest asymmetry in the U.S.-China competition is allies, right? The U.S. has a number of strong, important allies around the world, but particularly in East Asia. And China, to the extent that it does have allies, they tend to be weak uh, compared to those of the United States. And so how do you think these allies are going to play out in the military competition? And I'd ask you in particular to focus on Japan. There's no question that Japan has a highly capable self-defense force. Uh, the question, I think, is given that you've talked so much about the United States and China really renovating their militaries and modernizing quite quickly, uh, first, can Japan keep up? And second, should Japan keep up, right? Is it even worthwhile for Japan to sort of expend its resources in this way? Or should Japan be trying to perhaps find niche areas where it can contribute to the alliance in, in different ways rather than replicating U.S. capability? Mm. Yes, um, I think, um, as you mentioned, uh, Zach, uh, it's probably uh, unrealistic to totally uh, replicate uh, the U.S. Uh, innovation um, uh, for the Jap Japan Self-Defense Force. But at the same time, I think uh, with regard to certain areas like cyber and space, I think uh, th these are areas where Japan really has to uh, work hard to maintain interoperability. So rather than thinking about contribution, I think this is a, uh, an area that if Japan lags behind, will become a liability of the alliance. And so this is where I am concerned very much, actually. Um, uh, rather than about contribution, I think it's about uh, uh, reducing risks by enhancing not only capability, but also resiliency uh, in both cyber and space. And I think Japan's self-defense force is working towards this end. Um, for example, cyber. Uh, if you look at the fiscal year 2018 budget proposal, um, they're actually investing uh, to increase the number of uh, the so-called cyber defense force but it's very, very modest. 
uh, 110 people to 150 people. Um, we need much more, pe um, many more people uh, engaged in this kind of cyber operation. Um, but we're also investing in enhancing resilience. Uh, they're trying to identify risks and vulnerability of uh, air self-defense force space infrastructure, and also trying to look through uh, the risks, uh, cyber risks that are existing in uh, uh, some of the weapon systems. And uh, also, they are, I, I think they're going to invest in uh, studying some of the possibility to introduce AI uh, into cybersecurity. So those are, I think, even though uh, small steps, uh, very uh, necessary, essential uh, efforts that are required to sort of keep up with the United States, uh, not, so as to not to make their alliance uh, a liability. And when you look at space, I think, you know, um, this is also a, a, a new area that Japan is continue working on. And there are efforts uh, made to enhance so-called space situational awareness. And you know, we rely on commercial satellites and US satellites in the area of image intelligence, early warning, communications, and positioning and meteorological observation. Uh, but we're trying to develop our own uh, Ministry of Defense controlled uh, satellites in the area of communication as all, and also early warning. And uh, in the future, I think, uh, we have to go and look uh, to kind of enhancing resilience to hacking to, um, of, of these uh, satellites that are being used by Japan, and also uh, think about uh, contributing to some of the redundancy through the sort of satellite launch capability. But this is, a, of course, a long shot, but nevertheless areas that Japan, as an ally, to be relevant to the uh, allied uh, cause in the military competition, I think needs to uh, continue working on. Yeah. And how much of that uh, that revolution, in some ways, and what Japan's capable of doing, do you think is going to be included in perhaps the new national defense program guidelines? You've obviously talked a lot about information and communication architectures. Uh, is this something that's going to be a priority for Tokyo in the next year or two? Mm, I think so. Uh, I think these uh, space and cyber are areas where uh, I think policy elites and the government officials are, are looking uh, as uh, a very important areas that need to be uh, sustained by real resources and budgeting. And so I'm hoping uh, that the next National Defense Program guidelines will have some strong uh, initiatives uh, included in this area. And I think, uh, as you know, the 2015 uh, Japan-US Defense Cooperation Guidelines has a chapter six, which is an independent chapter devoted to space and cyber. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the long run, well, uh, my sense is that it, those two areas, although they are important, needs to be sort of operationalized and to be incorporated into what is being called Chapter 4, which is actually talks about the various uh, phasing uh, construct, if you will, uh, in, in uh, operational coordination. So uh, to make uh, cyber and space uh, a meaningful capability area for the Japan Self-Defense Force, I think the National Defense Program guidelines will have to come up with uh, very concrete initiatives. And it's been reported that you know, they are even considering ideas about uh, unifying uh, sort of a space command organization and uh, cyber command organizations. I'm not quite sure whether they're actually copying the uh, strategic support force of the, of the PLA, but um, I think you know, these two new domains are mutually uh, dependent. Uh, and uh, uh, it remains to be seen what kind of merit there is in terms of you know uh, unifying these two kinds of organizations. But these are the kind of ideas, I think, uh, that need to be explored uh, when we think about uh, making the JSDF robust in this new information 
uh, warfare age, uh, where AI and network warfare is going to uh, mean a lot. It's an it's an interesting point because um, you know when we talk about military innovation, often uh, the lay people tend to think about technology. Uh, but I think military planners tend to think not about the technology, but about the organizations that adapt that technology and how quickly and ably they're able to to do that. And so, in a sense, you know, copying what is happening in China may not be the best idea. Uh, one of the values of the alliance, one would think, is that you could have experimentation in Tokyo and in Washington to see which elements. Uh, which organizational structures work best to incorporate these kinds of technologies. Uh, so it's it's a hard mix between keeping the allies linked up together and ensuring that you get the most out of that ability to have two different organizational structures trying new things to see which ones work. Um, so let me let me then ask you a question about other emerging defense technologies and which areas you think require investment either from Japan or from the United States to ensure that they are at the forefront of uh, technology and operations uh, in the years to come? Are there certain areas that you think are, are most critical? You've already mentioned a few, but are there certain uh, initiatives that you think are vitally important? Yes, um, I would uh, mention maybe um, unmanned system technology. Um, I would also mention um, AI autonomy and uh, directed energy and also um, counter-swarm technology and as well as uh, quantum information science. Those are, I think, areas that will have sort of a disrupting, uh, if potentially disrupting effects. And um, I think, you know, AI, unmanned systems, uh, directed energy has been discussed a lot in many venues. But uh, potentially, for example, uh, the uh, swarm intelligence technology is going to be, um, I think, very important um, because if the Chin Chinese are already working on it, and the question is how are they going to employ it? And um, we tend to invest a lot in missile defense systems, but potentially those swarms intelligence weapon systems can be used against those uh, missile defense uh, uh, sites. And then um, those kind of very high expensive uh, assets are going to be exposed to high risks. And uh, that is not necessarily a good competition that we want to play. And so counter swarm technology is one very important area. And, Quantum cryptography and computing, uh, these are very, very uh, disruptive technologies, I think. I think the Chinese are actually already advancing on the uh, quantum crypto cryptography uh, side by establishing these uh, communication links over the satellites on uh, quantum communications. And quantum communication systems that are theoretically unhackable, and uh, they could uh, confound cyber reconnaissance and so forth. So. Uh, this is an area that uh, Japan and the United States will definitely have to, you know, uh, keep vigilant. And quantum computing is something that is, that has not been realized yet, but there, you know, China's investing in this area. And I, I think uh, the U.S. defense R&D community is also looking at this technology. But um, you know, the the thing is that quantum comp computing could be powerful enough to overcome most of today's advanced encryption techniques and uh, make government and military digital infrastructure vulnerable if, if this kind of technology is realized. So, and if it is actually realized and you know, we don't have the protective measures in place, that is going to create a huge vulnerability. And 
you know, it, these things sound so somewhat of a science uh, fiction type uh, technology, but it's not really science fiction. It's it's around the corner. So. Uh, we have to prepare for that kind of uh, sort of disruptive change by invest, investing sufficiently or significantly uh, to be able to uh, uh, not be caught by technological surprise. I think that's the whole point uh, when, we, when it comes to technological innovation. We don't want to be surprised by you know, Chinese technological breakthroughs and have the military balance shift in a very uh, unfavorable and drastic manner. And uh, I hope the United States and its allies uh, through you know, in increasing interface between their R&D communities would be able to, you know, uh, make progress uh, in um, hedging against these kind of uh, uh, technological surprises. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Satoru. Uh, it's a very uh, deep uh, paper, but also a, a very thoughtful approach, which I think you know, many Americans often when we think about the competition with China, we think of it in bilateral terms and broadening out and understanding that uh, U.S. allies need to be a core part of the debate about how the United States and its uh, friends and allies are going to operate. That that has to happen not when you're thinking of operating together, but when you're thinking of acquiring and developing forces in the years before you hope uh, that you might have to operate them in a, in a conflict scenario. So I think you've, you've done a fantastic job walking us through some of the considerations. And uh, we thank you for joining us and thank you for your time. Thank you. That's our show. Special thanks to Dr. Satoru Mori and Zach Cooper for joining the pod. If you want to learn more, links to Dr. Mori's full paper and summary blog are available in the show notes. And on Kajit Asia, you can read fresh written analysis, first on Japan's challenge with North Korea's illegal fishing in the Sea of Japan, and a second post on the state of progress in South Asia's efforts to achieve regional energy integration. The audio for this podcast was edited by Ribka Gemulangsari. This podcast was written and produced by Jeffrey Bean. You can follow our Asia programs on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, RSS, or email on csis.org. Stop by our Reconnecting Asia site to check out our latest feature on South Korea's infrastructure vision. Also, be sure to listen to our latest China Power podcast with Bonnie Glazer and Carl Minzner on how China's return to authoritarianism is undermining its rise. I'm Liza Keller. Thanks for listening. <laughs>